Well, take your Bibles for one more time and go with me to the book of James. This morning, uh, we're going to wrap up our study of this uh, great book. I hope and pray that uh, as we have studied it, it has, uh, you've enjoyed it uh, listening as much as I've enjoyed preaching it. It's uh, one of my favorite books in the Bible to preach through and again to walk through it and uh, be reminded of some of the great truths. I pray and I trust that we will not be just hearers of the Word, but we will find ourselves being what James tells us here, that we'll be doers of the Word. And I hope you'll take it and apply it to your heart and to your life. Uh, in a moment, we'll be reading from the fifth chapter, verses 19 and 20. I want to begin by pointing out something interesting to you about uh, this letter. In fact, uh, most of the time, if you've ever read through uh, the writings of Paul, particularly in the New Testament, you know when he gets to the end of his letter, uh, Paul would almost always uh, give greetings to numerous people, uh, those that were special to him, uh, those that had a special place in his ministry. Uh, occasionally, he'd point out those in the church that were troublemakers that needed to be dealt with, and uh, he would give his words of greetings at the very end of the letter. Uh, James does not do that. In fact, it seems to me that as he gets through writing this letter, as we looked a couple of weeks ago, it's almost like he had a last thought that he wanted to say and share with these believers. It's kind of like a postscript, if you would, a PS. And obviously, this was something that burdened him very, very deeply. And we'll take a look at it in a moment and hopefully apply it to our hearts and lives. Now, having said that, uh, remember that in the verses we looked at a couple of weeks ago, James dealt with the topic of prayer and physical healing. Prayer and physical healing. Now this morning, he's moving away from physical healing to spiritual healing. And remember in this book, James writes dealing with the topic of spiritual maturity. And it's almost as if as he's closing out this letter, he reminds all of us, he reminds these believers that he was writing to that one of the signs of a mature believer is that he or she will be involved in the ministry of reconciliation and helping those who find themselves to be in a backslidden condition. In fact, these last two verses deal with the backslider. So this morning, the title of the message is How to Restore a Backslider. And I trust the Lord will speak it to your heart and uh, in, a, in life in a very special way. So if you'll stand with me in honor of God's Word, I'll read our verses out loud, our two verses. You follow along there in your copy of the Bible. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Lord, I thank you for these words today and I pray that as we look at them and consider them this morning, that your Holy Spirit will speak to us. Lord, for those of us who know you and are walking with you, Lord, may we hear the admonition that James gives all of us to be involved in the ministry of rest, restoration and uh, ministry to those who have backslidden in their walk with you. 
Lord, for that person that might be here today who finds themselves in a backslidden condition, Lord, I pray you'll speak to their heart. I pray you will convict them of where they stand. And Lord, that you might move it in their heart to be restored and to walk rightly with you in the very near future. And then, Lord, for that person that's here today that does not know you, Lord, I pray today that at the end of this service, or even as they listen to your word being preached this morning, they will call upon your name, trust you to save them from their sins. So, Lord, we commit our service to you. We commit our study to you. We commit these words to you and pray you'll speak them deep to our hearts. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There is a story that is told about a a famous violinist that was once asked how long he practiced every day. He replied that he spent 10 to 12 hours a day practicing his violin. To which he was then asked, what would happen if you slacked off from that schedule? He said the following, after one day, I would know it. After two days, the conductor would know it. After three days, the orchestra would know it. After that, everybody else would know it. You know, that's kind of how backsliding is, isn't it? Here's a person who at one time walked faithfully with the Lord. And for one reason or the other, he or she began to stray from the truth, as James says. They began to backslide. All of a sudden, they don't read the Bible like they used to, and they're not praying like they once did. The fires of love in their heart for Jesus begin to wane. All of a sudden, you don't see them in church but maybe every other Sunday and before too long it's once a month and before too long they turn into the Easter and Christmas crowd that just comes to appease their conscience. There's no real love for their heart in Jesus. There's no desire to serve him, walk with him. There's no hunger for truth. There's no real desire to grow in their faith. And they certainly have no desire to be serving the Lord Jesus. Something happened along the way. They didn't start out that way. Gradually, a little bit here, a little bit there, they began to compromise their walk with the Lord Jesus. And now, if they were very honest with themselves and with those around them, they'd have to admit they're living in a backslidden state. Folks, it's it's a tragedy in our churches today. We've got people that fill our membership that are backslidden at best. Many of them probably are really truly lost. Maybe they've never come to faith in the Lord Jesus to begin with. I do believe there are many on our church rolls that have joined the church, but they've never joined the kingdom of God. They've never been born again. That's the reason there's no inward desire for Jesus and there's no great desire for spiritual truth. But then again, there are those who at one time in their life made a genuine commitment to follow Christ. And for a period of time, they did. But for some reason, down through the days and the months and the years, that love for Jesus is not what it used to be. If they were honest with themselves and with God, they'd have to say it best. They are backslidden, just like James deals with here in these two verses. 
So he concludes his letter by addressing how those who are mature in their faith need to be involved in encouraging those that find themselves in a backslidden condition. So this morning, I want us to consider the backslider. I want us to consider the believer. And I want us to consider the benefits according to how James deals with them here. First of all, consider the backslide of the first part of verse 19. He says, if any among you strays from the truth. If any among you strays from the truth. If you will remember all the way back into James, the first chapter, verse 16, we found that James warned these early believers about straying from the Lord. In fact, he wrote these words, Do not be deceived, brethren, all the way back in the beginning. Now at the end of his letter, James shares some counsel with those who have been deceived or who have erred or wandered from the truth. It's interesting, the Greek word that is used here, palanao, is translated into our English language as deceived or gone astray. And the way the word is used, it actually suggests and indicates a gradual moving away from God in their life. And that's how a person who finds himself in a backslidden condition really is. It didn't happen overnight. They didn't wake up one day and decide, I'm not going to walk with the Lord any longer. I'm not going to backslide totally. It was a little bit here, a little bit there over a process of time. Just like the violinist mentioned a moment ago in his practice, how it would eventually show. It tells us here that such wandering or straying has taken the person, James says, away from the truth. In other words, it has pulled them away from a committed walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's important to note here that James is writing to believers. And it is about believers straying that he is concerned with. If any among you, he says, I believe it's believers backsliding that concerns him, at least in this situation. Now, there are those who uh, read these two verses, and there are probably some commentators that will tell you these two verses are speaking about lost people. And they would say that these words by James are written as a passionate plea to evangelize the lost. And while I don't necessarily agree with that interpretation, I do believe that these verses could speak and apply both to the believer in a backslidden condition and to a person who is lost. And to be honest with you, uh, their need is, is the same. Their need is to repent and get right with God. But the text seems to clearly imply that it is a believer who has strayed from the Lord that James is concerned about. I mean, think about this. You can't stray from the Lord if you never walk with the Lord in the first place. So he's speaking to those who have strayed. Now, if that's true, and I believe it is, I believe that then begs the question, what in the world could cause a believer to wander from the faith? What could cause a believer to backslide in their walk with the Lord Jesus? The truth of the matter is there could be many, many reasons. And I'm not so sure that James, as he wrote these, what we now know to be five chapters, I, I kind of think he outlined some of the reasons that people uh, wonder in their walk with the Lord. Reasons 
uh, things that can happen in a person's life that will cause them to backslide. Now, I'm not going to take a long time to do this this morning, but let me just remind you of what James has already dealt with in this book. He, in the first chapter, he talks about trials and how we need to have a proper perspective on trials when they come our way. Do you know that trials can cause some people to backslide in their faith? I've said this many a times. I've watched it over these years. Trials, all of us go through trials. Every one of us walk through difficult times in life. And trials will either do one of two things. It will either drive you to Jesus or it will drive you from Jesus. Those who respond to trials properly, as James dealt with in that first chapter, trials cause us to run to Jesus. Trials often help us grow. Trials mature us. Trials make us strong in our faith. But if a person doesn't respond properly to trials, what does it do? Oh, sometimes they get angry at God. They question God's goodness. They question God's presence. It steals faith from their heart. And instead of running to God, it makes them run from God. God, if you're going to treat me this way, I don't want anything to do with you. They question God's presence. They question God's provision. They question God. Oh, my dear friend, this morning, there might be somebody here who's allowed a trial they've walked through instead of driving you to the grace and the goodness of Jesus to drive you from him. If that's true of you today, you need to get your heart right with Jesus today. In that first chapter, he also dealt with the problem of riches Sometimes riches cause people to backslide. And it's not the riches themselves, per se, that causes a person to wander from the truth. Uh, there are many people who are rich or have much uh, in relationship to material wealth, but they genuinely love and walk with the Lord. But the Bible does make it clear that it is the love of money and riches, the pursuit of material wealth that can cause people to wander in their faith. The love of money is the root of all kind of evil. In fact, Paul, writing to young preacher Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.10, once wrote, For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered from the faith, there's that word again, and pierced themselves with many a pain. Again, maybe somebody here, because of your pursuing after riches and wealth in this life, you've kind of walked away from God. Your heart doesn't burn for God anymore because you're burning after wanting more and more and more of what this world can offer you. He goes on in the first chapter, James deals with another uh, matter that can cause a person to backslide, and that's the, the, the matter of temptation. Temptation. Maybe this person who is backslidden was overcome by temptation. And as they were tempted through this life, They've yielded to that temptation and sin has overtaken them. Hey, we all are tempted. We all are tempted to sin as long as we're in this thing called the flesh and the weakness. And we have to deal with the weakness of our flesh. We're going to be tempted. But just because you're tempted, you do not have to give in to that sin. And if you do give in to that sin, there's a way to properly deal with it. But for many people, they're tempted, they give in to that sin, they give in to it over and over again. Now the sin has overtaken them, the sin has overpowered them, and they've given up on their walk with God. 
Either they think they can't be forgiven because of how many times they have committed that sin or they, they don't see any way out of, out of the issue that they are dealing with within their sin. Temptation, failing to deal with temptation properly can cause a person to backslide. In, in that fourth chapter, he deals with selfish ambition. What's well, another area that can cause a person to backslide? James 4, 3, he wrote, he says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Many people are so concerned with themselves and what they want, they have wandered from the truth. They do not stop and consider what God wants for their life. They are consumed with themselves. And boy, if you get to that stage, you're going to backslide in a, in a hurry. And we've got a lot of folks, a lot of people on the rolls of our church that are consumed with them, themselves. In that fourth chapter, James also deals with another area that can cause a person to backslide. Pride. Pride. Um, pride is the root of all sin. That's why James wrote in the fourth chapter, verse 6, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Many people wander from the truth because of pride, and it is pride that hinders them from humbling themselves in order to get right with God once again. A backslidden Saint is one who knows they're backslidden, or at least they should know, and God begins to convict them over their sin. But in their arrogance and pride, they say no to God. And instead of humbling, falling before God and confessing their sin and getting right and coming back to God, in their arrogant rebellion, they keep doing their own thing, knowing all the time God's convicting them about their sin. Pride can cause us to backslide. That fourth chapter, uh, James reminded us living out of the will of God can cause us to backslide. In fact, if you're in a backslidden state this morning, you are living out of the will of God. If you are disobedient to the revealed will of God for your life, then you have wandered from the truth. Verse 15 of that fourth chapter says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. In other words, we ought to be consumed with doing what God wants us to do. Instead, again, we're caught up in ourselves and in our pride. We want to do what we want. When you get to that stage, you're in a backslidden state. That is for sure. And then in that fifth chapter, he deals with the whole matter of the lack of prayer. The lack of prayer. We find our spiritual power for living through prayer. And if we're not praying, then it's going to be very easy to wander from the truth of God and find ourselves in a backslidden state. Well, I love that verse, verse 16 of that fifth chapter. The effective prayer of a righteous man and ladies of a righteous woman can and will accomplish much. But if you're backslidden, you don't want to pray. You know why a backslider doesn't want to play, pray? Because they know God's going to tell them to get right. They know God's not going to hear them until they do get right. And the truth of the matter is, he won't. James writes, concerned for that believer who has backslidden. So he starts this verse, if any among you strays from the truth. I, um, these 40 plus years of ministry now, I've seen it all too often. 
And I hate to admit it, there have been times in my own life when I looked at my life and where I was with the Lord, I'd strayed from the truth. I didn't walk with the Lord like I once walked with him. The fire of God wasn't burning in my soul like it once burned. I didn't love Jesus like I once loved him. I didn't desire to serve him like I did at one time. Hey, and when you get that way, you're in spiritual trouble. You're in spiritual trouble, backslidden condition. Consider the backslider. Then James goes on, he moves on. He, he moves from considering the backslider to now considering the believer. The one who strays from the truth. And then he says in the second part of verse 19, and someone turns him back. The someone obviously being a fellow believer. Someone turns the backslider back. Now, there have been some who have tried to use verse 19 to support the fact that you can somehow lose your salvation, but this is just not so. This verse simply is saying that an erring brother or sister is in deep trouble spiritually and have wandered away from the Lord and that he or she needs to repent and return to the Lord Jesus. I think some of the confusion or some of the misunderstanding can be found from a word that is used in the King James Version that maybe we have misunderstood. It's interesting that in the King James Version, the word convert is used instead of the phrase turns him back. And because of this, some think when they see that word that if they are converted, then obviously that means that they are being saved. But literally, the word convert here that is used means to turn again or to repent as it is in the New American Standard Version. Once again, you can't turn again if you never turned in the first place. Now, to illustrate that truth, let me show you again where this word is used elsewhere. You remember the Lord Jesus uh, was speaking to his disciples just before he was to be betrayed and, uh, and go to the cross. And he told uh, his disciples that uh, they were going to all deny him. And you remember Peter. Peter was the type of personality. He was always boisterous. He was always um, uh, he was strong in what he said. He always spoke up. I kiddingly say of Peter, he opened his mouth many times simply to shift feet. Uh, I find myself like him quite often. And Peter said, said to Jesus when Jesus said that they were going to betray him, Master, look, I will never betray you. In fact, all of these, and he pointed to his other disciples, all of these will deny you. But Lord, you count on me, I'll never deny you. Remember what Jesus told him, Peter, before this night's over three times, you're going to deny me. And then we find an interesting conversation or some interesting words of Jesus to Peter. In Luke's gospel, the 22nd chapter, verses 31 and 32, it says this, Jesus speaking to Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. 
And you, once you have, and here's the word again, turned again, strengthen your brothers. Once you have turned again, Peter, that's the word converted. Once you have been converted or once you have repented, again, James is exhorting mature believers that they need to be involved in restoring backsliders and helping those that have strayed to turn again to the truth. And that ought to be the responsibility of all of us who know the Lord and are walking with him. In fact, one of the marks of a mature Christian will be when they see someone who is a weaker brother or sister or that brother or sister who has backslid in their walk with God, that they help them come back to the truth. They help them be converted. They help them to turn from their sin and come back to the Lord Jesus. So let me, let me do this for just a few moments this morning. I want to deal very practically and simply with this admonition for all of us who know the Lord and walking with the Lord. How do we help restore a person who finds himself in a backslidden state? Let me just share this. This is about as simple as I can make it. How to restore a backslider. I'll, uh, I'll give you these steps and then we'll close up this morning. Step number one, if you're going to help as a mature believer restore a backslider, you and I must take the initiative. You and I must take the initiative. We cannot be passive in this matter. If we know someone who has wandered from the truth, we must take the initiative and go to them. That's why James is writing these last words to these believers. Go to that brother or sister who's not walking with the Lord. Maybe even this morning you're sitting here thinking about somebody that you used to see in church. You don't see them here in church anymore. And you know they're not going to somebody else's church. In fact, they're, they're, just, they're, they're just not even going to church whatsoever. And folks, let me just assure you, if somebody can't do something as simple as go to church, you can be pretty sure they're in a backslidden state. When you think of a person, God puts a person on your heart, your mind. God brings somebody across your thoughts. You come across the path of a young person or an older person, somebody you once knew that's no longer walking with the Lord. God has given you the responsibility to help restore them. You can't force their will in the matter. You can't make them repent. We can't do that for anyone. But God can use you. I, uh, this past week when we were, uh, I was doing a revival at uh, First Baptist Church of Jackson, I had the opportunity, um, uh, the great opportunity to go play Sage Valley Golf Course. Now, for those of you who don't know golf, that doesn't mean a thing to you. Uh, for those of you who do know golf, Sage Valley is a half a step under Augusta National. Okay, pretty awesome golf course and you have to walk with a caddy it's almost like work almost started not to do it but I did it anyway um, and I walked with a young man by the name of Jesse and in the process of of walking uh, with Jesse uh, we started talking about the Lord and he made a comment to me he said well call me preacher well preacher I'm trying to get my life right with the Lord he didn't tell me a lot about his life, but he told me enough to know he probably messed up pretty good along the way. Well, after we got through playing and as we've come to an end, 
And we're finishing up. I looked. I was with him by myself. I put both my hands on his shoulder. And I looked at him right now. I said, Jesse, let me just encourage you with all my heart. Get your heart right with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. It is the most important thing you will ever do in your life. Now, you know what? I don't know if you'll take my counsel. He might have walked away laughing at the old man he was carrying the golf clubs for. I don't know. But I pray God used that word. If nothing more, to encourage him, maybe even bring him to further conviction about the fact he wasn't walking with the Lord Jesus. You and I must take the initiative. Secondly, we must pray. In fact, in the preceding verses, James repeatedly instructed us to pray for those who are all, who are in need. And it's always appropriate and needed to pray uh, for a person with a spiritual need, especially when you're trying to restore a backslider. Remember what James says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can't accomplish much. Uh, again, over the years of ministry, I've had, and it's interesting, most of the time, in fact, I would say 90 or 95% of the time, it's wives who will come ask for counsel about how to deal with a lost husband or how to deal with a husband that will no longer go to church with them. And they ask the question, what can I do? Only once or twice over these years has a husband come and asked for counsel about how do you do, deal with a lost wife or a, a wife that won't go to church. I know why that's true, but it's just the way it is. I, there's a lot of things you, you can say maybe to encourage somebody, but you know what's the number one thing I can tell them? Pray. Pray for him. Hey, turn him over to God. Let God deal with him. Nagging don't work. In fact, nagging usually makes it worse. Begging and pleading might work a little, but probably not for long. But you pray for your husband. You turn him over to God. Trust God to deal with his heart. And let me promise you, ladies, God can do a whole lot better job of dealing with him than you can. And when God deals with him, you won't have to beg him any longer. He'll get right, and he'll maybe even be the leader who will lead you. To church as he should be. Pray. Take the initiative. Pray for that person. Thirdly, examine your own life. If you're going to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation, you have to examine your own life. You can't expect to win somebody back if there's known sin or hypocrisy in your own life. And we must deal with the log in our eye before we try to help a person remove the speck that's in their eye. Paul writes to the Galatian believers in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, and he says this, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, you who are mature, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And then he says these words, Each one looking to himself leads you to be tempted. Hey, make sure you don't have the same sin in your life. Make sure you're not living in hypocrisy. It's hard to help a person who's backslidden when you're backslidden at the same time. Fourthly, in the process of dealing with a backslider, we must love them unconditionally. 
We must love them unconditionally. This is the primary calling of every believer and it is by love and because of love that we can call the backslider back to God. John 15 verses 12 and 13, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. And if you're going to help restore a backslider, you're going to have to love him or her. You may have to love them despite how they're living. You'll have to love them regardless of what they're doing. That does not mean that you have to love how they're living. You don't have to like or condone their sin. In fact, you can't. You do not have to love their actions. But we love them no matter what they do or how they respond to us, to God, or even the church. And you keep on loving them if you love them unconditionally. And then step number five, and I'll close this this morning, we must be persistent and patient if we're going to be involved in restoring a backslider. It may take more than once. In fact, let me say it probably will. In fact, in many times, it will take many tries and many years. We must be persistent, and in our persistence, we need to remain patient. Hey, remember, God is patient towards all of us. His timing is not always our timing. Be patient with God and be patient with that person and trust God to work regardless of what you're seeing. I, um, again, this past week, um, Jackson, South Carolina is located just over the uh, Savannah River into um, South Carolina. It's right there at the Savannah River plant where they used to make uh, bombs. It's now a nuclear waste site, at least the, the, the plant is. And uh, this community of Jackson is only, I don't know, 15, 20 miles away from Augusta. Well, I have a brother who lives in Augusta. I don't get to see Steve a whole lot. Uh, he and most of his family live there in uh, just outside of Augusta. His wife has MS. Uh, she's very, uh, has a very bad case of it. So they don't, they don't ever get to go anywhere. I very seldom see my brother. So on Monday, I drove over and spent part of the day with seeing Steve. Um, and going to see my brother. Steve knows the Lord. Steve's walking with the Lord. And uh, God has done a, a deep work in my brother's life. But it hadn't always been that way. When we were growing up, Steve and I made a profession of faith at our church at the same time. I believe Steve was probably saved during those days. Only God knows that for sure. But Steve made a profession of faith. He was raised in a Christian home. My mom and dad raised him in a Christian environment. He got involved in the youth group, just like I got involved in the youth group. But Steve rebelled. Steve got involved in some junk during his high school years. In fact, without going into any details, and I certainly don't want to glorify the details, let me just say there wasn't much Steve didn't do that you could do to get in trouble. I mean, he rebelled. Uh, I remember at one time Steve ran away from home. This was before he was old enough to drive. For weeks, my mom and dad did not, or, or myself or my sister, we're not, we didn't know whether Steve was living or dead. He just left, left no word. Nobody knew where he was, hadn't heard a word from him. Uh, I, could, I could list the things that went on in Steve's life. He claimed to be a believer. But, but if he was, he was in a horribly backslidden state. 
We began to pray for Steve. Every chance I got when I could speak to Steve, I'd speak to him, beg him to get his life right with the Lord. My mom and dad begged him to get his life right with the Lord. God began to orchestrate circumstances in Steve's life. God worked it out where he hit bottom. God brought him to the end of himself. And you know what? That's a good place to be if you look up. And sometimes it takes a person getting knocked down before they ever begin to look up. It shouldn't be that way. But it's just something about man's rebellion and our hardness of heart that sometimes it takes that. Hey, and God's a good enough God. He's a gracious enough of a God. He's a loving Father. And if it takes that to get our attention, sometimes God will inflict that type of hurt upon us so that we have to look to him. What happened to my brother? Steve finally got right with the Lord. And when Steve got right, buddy, let me tell you what. He got right. And he's been walking with the Lord Jesus for a long, long time. But he's a classic case of a person who strayed from the truth and needed to get his heart right with God. Consider the backslider. Consider the believer. Lastly this morning, consider the benefits. Look at verse 20. Uh, James deals with two benefits of restoring a backslider back to God. Two benefits are listed here by James. Number one, verse 20, it tells us we will save his soul from death. We will save his soul from death. Now, that's a tough verse, isn't it? That's a difficult verse. You get some different views on what that means. Some commentators say and Bible scholars believe that this is a reference to physical death. In other words, this backslider is living in such a way that if they get restored, you, you save their bodies from death. 2 Corinthians 11 verses 29 and 30, Paul speaks of those within the fellowship of the church who were sick or dying because of their sin. 1 John 5, 16, John refers to those that sin, uh, can commit sin not leading to death. And he speaks of those who can sin leading to death. Again, I don't know that we can understand all that. That's serious regardless. But here in this case, James specifically refers to the backsliding believer when he says, we'll save a soul or his soul from death. It's more likely referring to spiritual death or spiritual destruction. The word for the soul here is psyche, which refers to the spiritual part of a person rather than the physical part of the person. It goes hand in hand and is with keeping of the teaching of Scripture that says the wages of sin is death. If a backslider believer is left in their present state long enough that brother or sister will destroy their spiritual life. They will destroy their walk with the Lord Jesus. But if they are restored, then their spiritual life will be restored or their spiritual life will be saved, if you would. And how many of us in this room today could talk about 
how we wandered from the Lord and God got our attention and we got right. We came back to the Lord and he rescued us. He saved our souls from, from spiritual death. That may well be what James is talking about. But either way, it saves the soul from death. And then he says, lastly, it will cover a multitude of sins. That's a benefit. One commentator had these words to share. The teaching of James ends with a focus on grace and forgiveness. With God's love comes grace as opposed to judgment and forgiveness in contrast to condemnation. When a sinner turns from his or her wandering from the truth and returns to God, all the resources of God's love are unleashed. The psalmist declares that as far as the east is from the west, so far has the Lord removed our sins from us when they are confessed to him. He forgives and he forgets. Three words of application. Number one, if you are a Christian today who's walking with Jesus and God has brought some backsliding saint to your mind this morning, could you see that as the Holy Spirit prodding you to be one that will go to that brother or sister and do all you can to help restore them? Look around you this morning. Think of somebody who's not here any longer. And you know they've not gone to another church. Really, from what you know, you've heard they're not walking with the Lord like they once did. Don't ignore that. Don't reject that. Don't act like you don't know someone like that. If God puts somebody on your heart, you take the initiative. Allow God to use you to restore one that might just need a word of conviction. They might just need a word of admonition. They might just need somebody who will be concerned. They might need somebody who will get in their face and tell them they ought to be doing better. Regardless, the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom as to how to deal with it. But don't ignore his putting that on your heart. Let God use you to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation. Secondly, if you're here today as a lost sinner, it's never been a time in your life that you've given your heart to the Lord Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. On the authority of God's Word, I can declare to you, if you'll come today and give your heart and your life to Jesus, Jesus will forgive you of your sin. He will give you a promise of eternity with Him in heaven. He will help you walk through this life living abundantly. It's here for the taking if you will simply come believing and confess Him to be the Lord of your life. Thirdly, this morning, if you're here and you're a backslider, and folks, listen to me. Our churches are filled with them. It's the reason the church is in the mess it's in today. We got a lot of people sitting in our pews, and some of them don't even sit in the pews anymore. They, they really don't love Jesus like they used to. They go through the motions. This doesn't mean anything to them. If they were really honest with themselves and with, with God, they'd have to say, I'm really not where I know I need to be. I don't love Jesus like I used to love him. I don't have a hunger for God then I pray that God speaks to you about you. I can't convince you. No other person really can. But when God convicts you, 
and you come face to face to where you really are in your walk with Jesus and you get serious about doing something about it, he'll transform you. He'll restore you. He will bless you mightily. There's a story that is told about uh, the hymn writer Robert Robinson. That might not, name might not mean anything to you, but he wrote one of my favorite old hymns that is entitled, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It is told of Mr. Robinson that in his declining years, he wandered from the truth and walked in what they said was the byways of sin. And as a result, he became deeply troubled in his spirit, trying to find some relief in his mind and God's conviction in his life. He decided that he would run from the Lord and he began to travel. While traveling during his journeys, he became acquainted with a young woman who was a committed Christian. And as they began to talk, she soon realized that this man was well-informed on spiritual matters. So she asked him what he thought of a hymn that she had just been reading and had learned to sing. To his astonishment, he found it to be the hymn that he had written when he was right with the Lord. She began to continue to press him for an answer. What do you think of this hymn? And all of a sudden, the story goes that he just began to weep. With tears running down his face, he said, I am the man who wrote that hymn many years ago. I'd give anything to experience again the joy I knew then. Although greatly surprised, this dear lady assured him that streams of mercy mentioned in his song still flowed. Mr. Robinson was touched deeply by her comments and turning his wandering heart back to the Lord. He was completely restored and walked with God the rest of his life. I want to read two verses of that hymn to you this morning. This is what he wrote. Come thy fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Calls for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount. I'm fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming love. And here's the catcher. All to grace. How great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Father, thank you for these words from James this morning. Thank you for the admonition to those of us who know you to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation. 
and the ministry of restoring those who have backslidden in their walk with you. So, Lord, for those of us who know you today, help us. Lord, as you bring people to our mind, as we see people that we know are not walking with you as as they once walked, Lord, help us to be bold. Help us to be loving. Help us to do what we can to encourage that person to get right with you, to pursue on their walk with you, to get their heart right, walk with you afresh and anew. Lord, for that person that's here today who is a backslider, Oh, God, I pray your word has gripped their heart today. I pray just like this man who wrote this great hymn, realize, boy, he can come back to you. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will so convict them that they cannot wait to get their wandering heart back made right with you. And then, Lord, for that person that's here today who doesn't know you, oh, today may streams of mercy flow and their heart and their life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we're going to stand and sing a hymn of commitment. Brother Lee is going to come lead us in our singing. I'm going to stand up here in a moment. I'll stand down front and receive those who need to respond this morning. If you're here, you need to give your heart and your life to Jesus. Would you step out as soon as we begin to sing and make your way down front? I promise you we won't embarrass you, but we want to share with you one-on-one, person-to-person. We'll have one of our staff members share with you from God's Word how you can give your heart, your life to Christ today and find the promise of eternal life before you leave here this morning. Would you come? And then, Christian, well, if you're not right with the Lord, don't wait another moment to get right. This altar is open if you need to come down and pray. If you need me to pray with you, I'd be delighted to do so. If you need to go out with someone to pray about a matter, they'll be glad to do that. But don't walk out of here the same way you came in here today. Get your heart right with Jesus this very morning. So, Father, we commit our time to you. May we respond to your glory and honor. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet?